Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com, and as always, I'm joined by our discerning co-host, Dilly Algema, and stalwart producer, Simon Josie, to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hi, both of you. How are you doing? Hi, Nick. Hi, Simon. Hi, Dilly. Hi, Nick. Hey, and uh, this, that's a hi from my baby son, who's decided to join us. I'm hoping only for the uh, introduction, because, oh man, he's so annoying. He has no mic control. Like, you'd think the son of a podcaster, this kid would get some kind of knowledge. But no, he's all grabbing the microphone and pulling the wires and making weird burping sounds into the mic. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, maybe you've got some tips for how I can train my child to be better at podcasting. Is there, is there a baby producer Simon out there? Swaddling. Have you tried swaddling? Oh, swaddling's overrated. Sorry, Nick, I've I've suppressed all those memories. I guess they were pretty horrific or something. What, of, of trying to teach your child to podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. You know, he's just, uh, he's in one of them. I think, it's, as you said before, he's in a phase, a phase of not sleeping and causing ultimate havoc. So hopefully if he just stays quiet for a bit, that'll be, that'll be nice. Anyway, what's been going on in your lives since I saw you seven days ago? There's got to be some interesting stuff happening, right? I have another cold. I hate to be like this. I sound like Miley Cyrus, which is not bad. I Miley Cyrus is is great. I love the way she sounds. Isn't she? I know. I don't really. I don't. I, I mean, you know, was it the Grammys? Was it the Grammys? It was, it the, was Grammys, the Grammys. Right? But I have no real truck with with that shit. But yeah. like, I, I've definitely got a few uh, Miley Cyrus tunes on my yeah. on my Spotify. Perfect singing voice, if you ask me. Oh. Controversial opinion, but I think she has the definitive recording of Jolene by Dolly Parton. Oh, um, yeah, I'll keep that to myself. Yeah. So, uh, what about you, Sam? What, what, well, what have you been doing? I was just gonna. I was gonna say it's it's perhaps a a relief to find a middle aged man who isn't obsessed with Taylor Taylor Swift. So good on you, Nick. I, I, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm not obsessed, right? I had an absolutely zero interest in Taylor Swift at the beginning of the semester. I had no tracks of hers on my, any of my playlists. And by the last week of the semester, I have four tracks on my running playlist of Taylor Swift. And I've sort of, I've not like in any way kind of obsessed, but my students have definitely directed as to like, they've definitely obsessed. They, there's a lot of them that are very much in love with Taylor Swift. And from, from what I can tell, that seems justified, but, um, the tunes are banging, like they are pretty good. So what are you going to do? Good pop music, good for running too. So. But I mean, other than that, I can't really tell you much else. Apparently, she's a billionaire. Sounds pretty obsessed. I mean, this what I mean. This is all osmosis. This stuff. This is stuff you see just by scrolling social media. <laughs> are you not a fan? Or you got an issue with with the Swifties? She she's an extremely interesting person because she sort of really told the music industry where to go, hasn't she? She's been extremely successful in in forging a path for her success and she's obviously had some dramas with with her former producer and stuff like that but i just i personally i can't get excited about her music i mean i've talked about other young female recording artists on this podcast mm -hmm. before that i find interesting my wife and i went and saw boy genius in cologne in the summer or late summer so yeah, it's not that I'm not down with the kids, mm. but I just, yeah, I, I just I can't get excited about Taylor Swift's music. That's that's all. Mm. I when it comes to Taylor Swift, I think I'm neither here nor there. I read somewhere that she pays her her crew very well and gives them like really nice fat bonuses, which is very nice of her. But music wise, I I don't actually have her on my Spotify list. Come to think of it. Who do I have on my Spotify? I like James Morrison. Very croony voice. James Morrison? Yeah. Oh, you're, you're, you're big in your classics, aren't you? So, Is I he mean, a classic guy? Is he a classic? He's a bit Ezra-like, if I remember right. Um, He's an, he's an Israelite. No. He, Ezra. He's, Ezra Miller? He's Is it Ezra like Miller? No. That's, that's the actor. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know anything. I just know what I like. <laughs> I don't know. I do feel. I do feel like there's an element of intellectualizing pop music that I find 
slightly irritating. And I guess that's the nature of having so much media written about about this stuff and so like just a lack of originality in the media that they just kind of piggyback on any old shit or they surf the twitter or instagram trying to find some fucking story to write 500 words about but um i don't know i just find like there's, there's every take possible like everyone's got a take on taylor swift and i'm just like i just don't care i just want to listen to the music is the music yeah. good don't care how many Grammys she's got. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't have any impact on my enjoyment of the music. Some of the best music that I have on my Spotify playlist probably has no Grammys. So, um, but yeah, I do feel like that. I, do you not feel like there's a little, an aspect of that with a lot of, a lot of music journalism where there's just a lot of chin stroking and kind of masturbatory articles. Masturbatory. I was, uh, yeah. Many backs being scratched in a chain i thought music journalism was in a bit of a crisis I, I i know in new zealand all the main broadsheet well they're not broadsheet papers anymore but the, the daily newspapers have virtually eliminated all their their music popular music criticism and there's sort of a real lament for for local and music journalism in new zealand these days it's just just no money in it apparently and, and didn't pitchfork wasn't didn't I see last week that Pitchfork had um, crumbled? I mean, I haven't seen that. It would just surprise us. Who or what is Pitchfork? I mean, it was like a big, wasn't it? A, um, online. Like a, a online um, magazine. Music oh, magazine. okay. Yeah. I think they were, were they, which publishing group were they part of? It's Condé Nast. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, that, that's, that's history. So that was quite big news. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you talk about sort of music. I can't say I'm, I'm deep into the the wells of German music journalism. Well, the fact that there's still loads of regional news that's f fairly independent. Granted, it's behind paywalls, but but that's always a, something that stands out to me. But mostly, it's not. I mean, it's not niche music journalism. But if you go to any Hauptbahnhof and go and have a look at the 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 shelves and shelves of physical magazines that are on sale and the, how many there are and these are like not sort of english publications they're german language publications so they're only going to be sold in a few places and that's still doing a roaring trade i would say i guess music journalism becomes a little bit redundant because you no longer need someone to tell you what music sounds like you can just go on youtube and listen to it and in an era where you couldn't do that where you had to you had to have someone go to a gig and tell you if the gig was good or not. I mean, I'm of an age that I remember when the, the NME used to arrive in New Zealand like six months after publication. Mm. And you just get like dead excited because you were like, oh, like what? What's, what's the popular music like nowadays? Six months ago in <laughs> yeah, England, yeah. Exactly. It's, yeah. yeah. I, was, um, I was actually thinking, um, I was um, scrolling through TikTok recently and I realized that we really live in a snippet culture, no? like for, uh, given any film, any TV series, any music video, any interview, there's always like short takes and there's part one and part two and so on. And everything is broken down into smaller pieces, but everything is so accessible, like the little jokes and what wasn't funny. And, you know, the subplots are like main plots in bigger snippets. Everything is so accessible, but also like broken down into tiny pieces. I, I could not believe my, my wife is, okay, so within our family, my wife is notorious for just not being able to avoid the ending of things. So whenever, like whenever she reads a book, she always reads the last chapter first. Whenever something comes on television or the movie, she wants to read all the spoilers and everything. She oh, just, yeah, I, do I don't know, too. maybe she doesn't like surprises yeah. or anything. But but you know the beer, which is on Div Disney, yeah, 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 yeah which watched I know, it. I watched it, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so I'm I'm very slow at the moment. I'm only halfway through the second series of the beer, not because I don't think it's great, but it's just taking me a while to get through it. Um, but she seemed to watch the whole damn thing before it was released in snippets on TikTok. And it's just like, for me, that would just completely ruin the experience. Yeah. We're completely different people yeah. and different the way we uh, absorb and, and consume media. And 
I couldn't stand doing that, but but she's really yeah. into this. She likes little snippets, and she's been watching a lot of snippets of famous movies on TikTok yeah. at the moment as yeah. well. So it's how I consume Grey's Anatomy because um, I I think there are nineteen seasons, and I have like four of them at home, and the rest on like streaming services in various places. But I go on TikTok, and I'm like, what? How how is this even Grey's Anatomy? And I'm like, oh, okay, I need to get to season ten. Uh, yeah, I haven't really thought about how this has changed the classical traditional viewership as I know it, but it's definitely done something to it. I guess it's the idea that if people like try a little bit, they'll like all of it. But there's a difference between sitting and watching a 30-second clip and watching a two-hour or three-hour movie. Like imagine trying to watch Oppenheimer through like 30-second clips on TikTok. Just be fucking torturous like a three-hour narrative film. I mean, we're just as guilty, actually, if you think about it, because we put out three 30-second-ish clips of the podcast mm. as a as a promotional tool every week, don't we? I mean, the, the concept of a trailer shouldn't be that, like, alarming. But, I mean, these aren't, unless you can, you can't really consider them the trailers. But the same thing happens on on with YouTube shorts. Like, I think I've watched... A lot of TV, most of the TV I've watched in the last year has been through the medium of short clips for sure. Because oh. I don't have the energy or the, it has to be something really special like The Bear, which I'll sit down and watch. It helps that The Bear's episodes are like 30 minutes at a pop and you get just the highest quality and there's no fat on the bones. But it has to be something really particular that I'll sit down and actually go, I'm going to watch this. That, actually, that's one thing I like about the bear is it's it's usually thirty minutes long, except for that bloody Christmas episode, which was an hour long. And I was just oh, there's God. one episode per. I think it was an episode the season before that was like forty minutes or forty five minutes. Yeah, long. but um, yeah. I, I mean, again, I think it's attention spans and and mine is certainly ruined by just being tired all the time. I can't like sort of sit through an entire film unless it's like super engaging. Yeah. And so you find yourself, I'm finding myself trying to find other things to enjoy. Video games are quite easy to do. But even then, I feel tired after playing 30 minutes of a video game. And like reading, 10, 10 minutes maybe, I can get through three pages and then my brain starts to shut down. So I think just being, I think it depends on, on the energy levels for sure. Reading is nice. It's something I'm slowly getting back into because there was a time when I read like eight books a week and then I just couldn't read uh, anything to the end i do i do still keep buying books so that hasn't changed so yeah i was thinking about that the other day because i've got i've got the, the, the pile of books i got for christmas but they're all about germany and i'm like i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to space it out i'm gonna have to like have a book about germany then just someone else that is a like a, a palate cleanser because you can't just i couldn't read like five books about germany but the the one i'm reading that like germany in the world i'm like midway through I'm just about to get to the 20th century. Right? Uh, so I've almost done. Not much happened in Germany in the 20th century. No, it's apparently it's very bleak. Um, I mean, given that the, the, the larger port part, larger half of the book is dedicated to the 20th century, I have a feeling it's going to be quite important. But the thing I was reading about today, this is great. Do you know how, um, I mean, there, there isn't a lot of talk, especially in Germany, about like pre sort of uh, First World War history. And, and it's not a big topic. And it's something we talked to Katja Hoyer about last year was the fact that that sort of focus on the 19th century is kind of missing and it's sad because there's a lot of quite funny and interesting things and the bit of the book that i can't do was there was a genuine belief in like the early 19th century that the thing germany needed to do was to form another germany like there would be like two germanys and the second germany that planned out was they were going to like send loads of emigrating germans to america and like buy a bit of america and that would be Germany too. And there'd be like two Germanys. <laughs> I just love that idea. And then they were like, they, they realized that America probably wasn't going to give them any land. They're like, oh, well, maybe like, maybe in Spain and then maybe in Canada and, and perhaps in Africa. And there was like one idea that there would be like the American Germans and the German Germans and the African Germans. And they combined together to make this like really friendly, lovely empire. And I was like, what the fuck are these guys smoking? 
Like, it's just these wacky ideas. I just like I just found it really interesting because it was a bit of my of history. I had no knowledge of this idea, this kind of very earnest plan to buy a bit of America and kind of turn it into a sec in Germany. And I was like, oh man, that's a great alternate history. Imagine like the two. You could have like Disneyland Germany and then like Germany Germany. It would be quite fun. I suppose arguably parts of the parts of America that have a large German population are a bit Disneyland. But what are you going to do? Um, yeah, the thing I was thinking about when you were talking about Taylor Swift and music choices, and I was like, well, my music, and certainly my Spotify algorithm has been totally battered to shit over the last week because I've been listening to wall-to-wall fashion music. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love no. myself. Why would you I love do myself that? some yodeling, yodeling um, uh, sort of mountainous man. That apparently seems to be the theme. Uh, that's apparently Bavarian fashion music. I keep getting told off for calling it fashion because it's kind of all. Who's telling you off? People in Köln, Köln and Düsseldorf. Eh, it's kind of all here. Not, it's not. We don't call it fashion. And I'm like, great. I'll just call it fashion because that's what everyone else says. Is this spousal <laughs> pushback that you're referring to? Spousal pushback? No, no. It's it's very much um, people on social media pushback. Isn't it just called fashion in um, in the south and and Carnival in the north? That's yeah, my but, understanding. But you know what? It's like uh, there's nothing like a puritanical German person who believes their way is the only is the only way which i always find is interesting because it kind of underlines how how little they probably know about their own country that we have all these different bits of terminology but if you if you're enjoying fashion and you're eating a crap then you're probably south of the vice versa quite so that's probably where you are and i've been doing both in copious amounts however sadly i didn't get to go to kinder fashion the kinder fashions party on on, on sontag because uh, cause again, my darling son didn't sleep and it meant I had to stay home with him so he could sleep for two hours. And so my pineapple costume, which I spent hard-earned money on, went wasted. It's now been packed up and put in the loft. I have to wait till next year to turn into a pineapple. Uh, my wife went as a hippie and my daughter went as some kind of princess mermaid. Okay. That's... That's a thing, apparently. Yeah, but the question, <laughs> the kind of question I wanted to ask you was about fashion's costumes, because uh, the original idea my wife had for a, for a fashion's costume was uh, for like a an old woman, <laughs> basically, uh, complete with grey wig and walking stick. Mm. And my question was like, how how should I reply when my wife says to me that she wants to dress up as an old person? Should I be enthusiastic? <laughs> it's like, is it dangerous to be too enthusiastic? Because I feel like it was dangerous to be too negative, which I was. <laughs> mm -hmm. Should I have gone, yeah, I love old people. You should dress up as an old person. <laughs> that have been better <laughs> than, yeah, I'm not so sure. <laughs> How skilled is your wife with makeup and stuff? I mean, that's that speaks to talent. I mean, let's be let's be honest. This was a Amazon out the bag costume. I don't think there was going to be a lot of makeup uh -huh. involved. Um, uh, oh. I mean, again, but that begs another question: Wouldn't it be better that she was awful at it than good at it? Because if she's good at it, then she really looks like an old person, and that's terrifying as a concept. Like watching your partner age forty years in front of your eyes, like that's this is the concern I have. Are you dehydrated, perhaps today? And why would you say, why would you ask me if I'm dehydrated? It just crossed my mind, Nick. You know, I, I'm trying to be kinder to you, and I thought that's the kindest way. Do you feel like I'm being a bit scattergun? Is that what you I, I thought it's the kindest way to indicate uh, that you are really going down that old people rabbit hole, no? That 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 question really unnerved you. I'm, I don't feel like I'm going down it. I'm not, I'm just, I'm like, you're real talent dilly i think on the podcast is to read between the lines but also not just read them but like shout them <laughs> shout them and then <laughs> and then project them on a wall <laughs> and then make them the focal point of the conversation and make people feel really awkward uh, yeah i mean well that's part of the fun but the other side of it is i mean what how would you feel if your partner was like i want to dress up as an old man i mean is that a viable costume is that a f i don't quite get it ultimately because i just thought costumes were meant to be fun like dressing up as an old person doesn't feel like it has the fun fashion vibe. I mean, being old is fun too. I mean, there are people who are 
again thanks to tiktok you know like look at how what they look like 20 years ago and look at how hot they look now kind of thing and um it's it's not offensive to dress up as an old person you can still be nice i never said it was i, I but i'm just i just find it i mean like you have oh nick you didn't want to see your wife grow old in front of you then partly, like the time of travelers but the husband. Is, but the other part is that you you can choose you can choose any costume you can be anything at fashion. I'm gonna be an old person. I just felt like I, f- I feel that's like a lack of imagination. I feel like it's a very pedestrian option. Actually, I was surprised that you chose to be a pineapple with all, with your hatred I, of fruit. You chose I, to be I, a pineapple. I, it was it was an homage to you. Dave. Thank you. How by the way, like I was thinking. I, okay, first thing is, I want to know what Simon would have dressed up as. Well, what would have been your costume, Simon? And that's the first question, by the way. Do I have to answer that question now? Would you like to have some time to think it over? I mean, it would, it would make the podcast a bit dull if you just waited until next week. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, well, I haven't been to Carnival. I haven't dressed up. I, I can't remember the last time I dressed up. I, I did... I did go to a party once in Taipei dressed as SpongeBob SquarePants. No! That's what I'm talking about. And, that is what I'm talking about. And the thing was, it was a complete coup because it was a it was a like Hawaiian beach party. Yeah. And all the other boring men, husbands, yeah. they all wore Hawaiian t-shirts. And I turned up. I spent two days making this full-size, you know, yeah. human-size um, SpongeBob SquarePants yeah thing out of these plastic things it was a braze amazing i had two sets of eyeballs yeah. one for pre-drink and the, the the next set which i put on about two hours later yeah. were all sort of bloodshot and red because yeah. you'd been drinking obviously by that stage yeah and um accurate yeah i tell you what i was if there'd been a prize i would have won it good on See, you that's, oh, lazy asses in their hawaiian shirts I, I i also on the last night of my last the last night of my last university exam, so this would have been at the end of 1991, I had a party to go to that the following night. Yeah. And I was working, even though I was supposed to be studying, I was working until about one in the morning building my my costume for this, this dress-up party, which was about um, vampires and things. And I, I made a, a walk, a walkable fully made out of cardboard and wooden framed coffin so I could walk along as a coffin, a walking coffin. So I've got a bit of the previous when it comes to creative um, costumes, mm-hmm. should we say. I, I don't usually do it in, you know, I do go full full, full mm-hmm. tit, as we say, on it. Can I ask you one thing, the second question? So when you have these elaborate costumes on, like SpongeBob SquarePants, because you also said SquarePants very diligently every time you mention SpongeBob, and and the pineapple suit. How do you pee? Like, uh, how can you be in these costumes? Well, I was like a younger a- man then, so I could hold it in for much longer okay. for a start. And how would you have done it with the in the pineapple suit, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a cheap costume off of Amazon. I just pull it up and unzip my fly and go oh, and toilet. A, it so it's like it's complex. a fly no. and everything. Oh, okay. I mean, it was. It was the cheap, the cheapest, most flamboyant thing I could find. Ah, okay. But I was like, I'm not gonna. My initial idea was to go as a banana because that's just solid funny. But like ah, cowboys, theme. like this Captain, like last year it was like Captain Jack Sparrow, Iron Man, Spider Man, yeah. and like sort of whatever they could find in the cupboard. And it was all like kind of movie based shit. And Weren't I'm you like, a gorilla last year? Yeah, I just went straight. I went straight gorilla baby. Did you not walk on the roads in a gorilla costume last year? Did I walk? I mean, that makes it sound quite dramatic. What do you mean walk on the roads? Did you not walk like, to the party in like the? I mean, there was a bit, a little bit of a walk, but it wasn't an extensive. You, I think you held walk. up the traffic. That's what you said. I, don't think, I can't remember. I can't remember. I mean, uh, I can't remember what I did last week, let alone last year. Uh-huh. Feels familiar. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, it's diff. There's different between having your generic bog standard gorilla costume or pineapple costume mm-hmm. and buying like a movie tie-in marvel character which just feels a little bit ugh. it smacks of like i want to i want to i want to dress up as something funny but i want to be cool and my sort of philosophy with dressing up is kind of i guess similar to simon's where funny trumps cool every time like always go funny 
and then if it, if you happen to look cool as a, a byproduct of that happy happy days i don't know i don't know if i felt too bad about missing the kinder fashings party i did get to have a, a bit of sleep which was nice mm. the other thing with with all this dress up and especially dressing up as various fruits it's only one of the small perks of fashion the other is the televised fashion programs uh, which after last year's pretend scandal over a funny poem about right-wing pandering by CDU leader Frederick Mertz are always kind of ripe for some political piss-taking. That seems to be the big theme of these events and these TV shows where they get all these kind of politicians and the great and good into a hall, fill them full of beer, and then rip the utter piss out of them. And one of the more famous ones is Fastnacht in Franken. Uh, and uh, that was on, I think, over the weekend. And, I mean, the show is a full-on assault on the cultural senses because it prides itself on not only hammering politicians in the spotlight but also having like dancing girls weird skits with firemen uh, lots of skits basically lots of kind of musical comedy and all this stuff and in the front row of uh, this year's Fastnack and Franken was Hubert Ivanger, of course mm -hmm. and Marcus Surda and they um they got subjected to uh, a serenade from a musical comedian who was I think they're like covers basically and, and Hubert Ivanga got it more than than Surda did in fact Surda was like slapping his thighs laughing <laughs> the jokes about Hubert Ivanga it was quite funny to watch um relating to his uh, scandal last year about the um the Nazi pamphlets in the schoolyard and uh, one of the things I was thinking as I was watching it was like ah oh, I've got to be honest I do enjoy watching a politician get totally panel beaten by a comedian but is um I like like the skits that you see, and they come up in other ways as well at parties and stuff. These like little like performances. They're meant to be kind of funny, but they're not funny, funny. They're just kind of mildly amusing. I mean, what are you, do you, have you encountered these in, in other areas or have you seen any of these fashion skits where it's kind of like they're kind of organized fun or like this is, this is the funny bit. I'm going to do a funny thing. Listen to my funny thing. I'm going to do a really funny poem or I'm going to sing a funny song or like it, it's very kind of organized fun. Have you encountered this, this kind of thing before? It doesn't sound like something I have missed. I haven't seen any of these um, fashion or German skits. I don't have anything. I'm not opposed to skits though in general. Yeah, I guess, I guess it depends what kind of thing you're putting on. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is I'm kind of adverse to musical comedy in general. I feel like I'm, I've got quite quite strong blockages. But I do feel like musical comedy is a bit shit. I've yet to see any that I really enjoy. But um, that seems to be a big feature of a lot of fashion events, some kind of jokey song or kind of half-humorous song or, or something like that. And uh, I've always found that quite kind of tricky to get used to. German humor, huh? Um, um, I just think it's like, I think in that context, it feels like just almost universal humor. Like... Like, I'd, yeah, you know what I mean? I mean, it's like, obviously it's in German, but I don't know how, I think musical comedy suffers whatever language you're singing it in. It's still going to have problems. <laughs> because there are like, uh, there's, there, there's a musical comedy that I know from Sri Lanka in Singhala, where it's um, like, it's like poems but they are, they rhyme and they it's it's about politics and you take the piss out of politicians and the current political affairs and it's very creative it's very well done maybe it's the language barrier it's not something i've encountered in germany yeah i mean it's it's a very particular piece of entertainment for sure um luckily fashion wasn't the only thing on the menu over the weekend I uh, took to the streets with the rest of my fellow Germans you did. to protest the right wing on, on, in Augsburg on Saturday. Uh, across the country, hundreds of thousands were doing the same thing. And there was a, a plan to form a human chain around the Bundestag in Berlin, which was cancelled because there was too many people wanting to join. In fact, in, in sort of Augsburg um, on Saturday, I think there was roughly 25,000 people came to the Rathausplatz in the center of the city. Uh, which is really something and 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 it speaks to this kind of growing support or the fact that there's like overwhelming support for this idea of being opposing right-wing ideas and right-wing rhetoric and policies because by friday the police in augsburg had stopped trying to estimate how many people might attend uh, on saturday it became pretty clear that there were going to be a lot more than the expected six thousand. and like i said they reckon about twenty-five thousand turned out uh, which is pretty good. And not only in um, 
Augsburg. You had uh, an estimated 200,000 out on Saturday. Um, in total, 150,000 in Berlin, 25,000 in Nuremberg, 30,000 in Freiburg. I think there was 13,000 in Frankfurt yesterday. And as the protests continue, there doesn't seem to be signs of numbers dropping. More protests are continuing to be announced across Germany, uh, which is causing some issues since the, the, the numbers are just becoming increasingly hard to, to gauge and, and really hard for police and organizers to predict, as uh, the Augsburg example testifies. It's, uh, it, was, it was really something. It was really something uh, being there on Saturday. I've talked before about moving through crowds in Germany and how difficult it can be and how people can be very insensitive and not very thoughtful of each other. Mm. Total opposite vibe. We were moving through a crowd with a crying child and a pram and it was like we were fucking Moses and they were the Red Sea and people were just moving out the way, moving others, helping us get through. And, as, and then as it got to the end, I, was like, I turned to my wife and I was like, who would have thought all the open-minded people coming to protest the right wing would be so bloody helpful? Like, what a surprise, eh? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's our kind, it's our kind. It felt like the, the 25,000 best people they could find all came out in, in, in solidarity. And there was a lot of different people, the whole stratas of society. And it was really, really, I didn't bring a tear to my eye, but because I had a screaming child, I didn't have time for tears. But it definitely made me feel like like we're there was this is the reaction you know this is the right reaction to what's been happening over the last 12 months um can i ask uh, so uh, how did your daughter take to it i mean she's not old enough to understand what's going on but did she have some kind of sense on some level um, i made two signs and yeah. one of them was for me and one of them was for her yeah. and i kind of I don't know. Did we talk about the signs last week? Yeah. I think we talked about the signs. And the one I ended up making for her was like, it was, was yeah, it was, it was the one I posted on Twitter, which was, uh, can my papa, um, here Blyben, I yeah. think it was the, what I'd written on it. And she was made up that she was getting a sign and I had a sign. So I think just having a sign was good. And then she started asking questions and she's like, why are we going to the protest? Yeah. And I tried to explain it in terms that I thought she would understand. And it's always hard. You don't know what they're taking in really. Yeah. And I said something along the lines of like, well, there's people in the world who don't like people who are different yeah and i'm different to a lot of people and and so i'm going to show support for other people who are different and people who um live in germany and how it's important that we're yeah look after each other and she sort of got kind of i think she kind of got that yeah and then she wanted to know what was on a sign and she sort of she was dead happy she had that on a sign but she didn't i don't think she really knew what it meant because she's only she's only three right yeah but we, we talked to her about it, but you don't, you, you, you kind of had to walk a, a, a fine line between telling her the truth and, and sort of scarring her for life. I don't want to have to explain the concept of fascism to her this early doors. I think I'd like to give her a bit of a grace period, but actually it, in the, she was really upset. We had to go. She, so this was what she said. It was, it was quite, oh, it was quite sweet. Yeah. She was sort of crying. And I was like, why are you crying? She's like, I don't want to go home. And I was like, why don't you want to go home? And she said, it's so beautiful here. And I was just like, how sweet is that? <laughs> so yeah, it was really nice. And um, there was, uh, yeah, it was just, it was a really good feeling. It felt, it just felt really positive all the way through just how many people there were, what had been said and, and, and the sort of support that people were showing for, for each other. It was just really nice. That's nice. I will say this though, there was a bit of kickback because I post those signs on Twitter and there's a couple of people going, well, you know, they're not talking about you. They're not going to deport you. And it actually made yeah, me really fucking angry because uh, I was just like, it's that thing, isn't it? It's like div dividing conflict. Yeah. Well, you're okay, migrant. They're not talking about you, Nick. You shouldn't be offended. And I'm like, no, I fucking am because I've got more in common with migrants than I do with the people who are trying to fucking uh, victimize people. And I hate I hate that argumentation so much. And it's how you support people, and and exactly. also uh, you know eventually they're also going to come come for you. That's that's the point. It's like you've never they've not paid attention to anything that's happened in history ever, and it's just like like that's how it happened the first time. Remember, like there's a whole fucking poem about it. You yeah, absolute spanner. What what I did think was interesting was there seems to be a shift in the movement. Yeah whatever this movement is, it started with Deutschland steht auf, like Deutschland stand up. And we've gone from that to Wissen die Brandmauer, which is we are the firewall, yeah. which is a lot more 
militant it seems too strong a word yeah but it's definitely it feels like a shift from not just standing up to actively protecting it's like we are the barrier we are preventing something which i think is an interesting shift in the way kind of people are thinking about it. of how we see um, ourselves too no in this protest yeah and and again it's not it's not everyone i mean there's students who are like oh what was the protest about and i was like can't, can't believe i'm explaining that to students but hey there we go um but i just felt like yeah i felt like it was it was uh it was really significant uh, nick because you went to this protest do you have any comments about sort of the nature of the crowd was the broader german society represented by that crowd or do you think it was a fairly narrow slice of of german society there something i have thought about i mean predominantly white, white middle class germans but then that's just like what i'm seeing visually and that was only part of the crowd that i saw there's 25000 people there mm. and also you have a lot of people passing through it's in the center of the city so who's part who are the protesters and who are the who are, who are not the protesters but it felt like we had loads of di loads of different perspectives and like the area where i live in is sort of csu heartland yeah so you've got to assume just by the sheer dint of the numbers that some of those people are csu voters as well it was definitely green voters you could smell the patchouli oil in the air <laughs> there was SVD. There was like there were people with different vibes. There was unions there. There was different groups. There was different people. There was definitely more than a few different languages being spoken in the crowd. I mean, I heard snatches of, of five or six different languages, excluding English and German. So there was there was a lot of people. But I mean, I feel like there's a this is a bit of a loaded question. So I'm, I'm going to wait until the other shoe drops on this one, Simon. What's the other What's the other side of this question? <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know. I guess, I guess it was kind of informed by the fact that I, I was listening to a couple of podcasts at the end of last week and some of the, the hosts or guest presenters on those shows had expressed some unease that while there were a lot of people out on the streets protesting against the right wing extremism, they were asking, well, where were those people when it came to protesting about, uh, fairly widely acknowledged um, injustices in Gaza at the moment. Mm. And, and I mean, the danger here is whataboutism, right? Um, I think that's the exactly, but this is exactly what it is, isn't it? It's like, well, why, why do people protest this thing and not the, the other thing? Mm. Like as if it somehow isn't, it, it, it somehow it devalues people protesting anything. Like if, if, if there isn't a zero sum, you don't protest everything or nothing or nothing matters. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, 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 I do know what you mean. Cause I also feel like, yeah, I understand their point, but I'm also happy to see that there were 200,000 people out protesting about right-wing extremism. So it would probably be nice if everyone in the same numbers was out every weekend protesting all injustices in the world. But I think we know that that's not realistic or likely to happen. But it, it was just, it, it, I guess it gave me pause to think about that when I, when I heard those comments. Can I add to that, please? Because uh, that's, uh, that's kind of a uh, question or comment I also had in my head because I'm super excited and happy for the protesters that are turning out onto the streets against the right, uh, against the IFD. And we have even politicians um, leading the protests or contributing to them. But at the same time, I'm also really unhappy with, with the responses we've had in Germany to the genocide in Gaza. And holding both of these problems in my hand, and it, it would be nice if we can protest all injustice, but that is not what we are doing. And it kind of weighs heavily somewhere in my head or heart or both. Why does it weigh heavily? Seeing that there sometimes there is very little space for the protests against the genocide in Gaza, and one is one is applauded, and there are so many people turning out for it, and the other doesn't even sometimes have the space. But I don't, I don't think, I think the, 
fundamental issue is it hardens the question. Like it's not, you can't, you can't like compare them. Like the two very, the two linked issues, but they're not the same issue. Mm, they're, they're not, they're the, not same, the same issue. Don't have the same drivers. They don't have the same immediacy. Like the the the, the, the pull factors, the motivations for going, they're just like they're they're different. And 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 I think it's like it's kind of like it's kind of when you compare countries, isn't it? You go, oh, well, they do it differently in this in this country and it's like well yeah they're going to right because there's just different reasons there's different motivations there's different issues at hand mm. and i think it feels like there's an inherent value judgment that's being made and there's also a sense that you have to take from one thing to to kind of support the thing that you believe in oh. and and i feel like that inherently is the issue with the question should more people have protested what's happening in Gaza, probably, yeah, yeah. Like, I think when there's wars happening and there's injustices in the world, we should be more able to speak up, of, uh, and people should be more motivated to speak mm -hmm. up about it. But am I surprised that more people didn't? Not really. Not massively, particularly. Why not? Well, I mean, there's a million, million reasons, right? Like, you're right, it's a really difficult question to answer. But... Why do people feel strongly about refugees from Ukraine when they didn't feel so strongly about refugees from Syria, you know, or, or Iraq or Afghanistan? Like, because there's different factors in play. There's different opinions, different prejudices. All of these things have, have a part to, to kind of interact. And I think that the responses from society versus the responses of politicians versus the responses of the media other individuals political spectrums like it's all gonna it's all gonna vary isn't it but when something is firing up people domestically it's always gonna have more of an impact than something that burns people that that's happening in a foreign country even if there is a connection between them and i think also Frankly, and this is the reason why we've talked about this. This is the reason why I wouldn't touch this topic with a barge pole. It's because I'm fucking, I'm not, I, I, I feel like so ill-equipped to discuss this topic, especially the topic of what's happening in Gaza. Mm. And also, who fucking cares what my opinion is about fucking Gaza? Like, I have no value in this conversation. My, me filling the air with my like opinion about what's happening in Israel and what's happening in Gaza just seems absolutely pointless. Except maybe in the German context, because uh, German, the government, the German government has taken a certain position, mm -hmm. and and it has also had an impact on what I mean. D didn't it? You know, weren't there a number of actions taken to prevent people from protesting? Yeah, in in, yeah. in Germany, and I think, I think. That is, and I, I, I certainly understand what you say about, you know, who am I to say what's going on and, you know, who, who am I to make judgments about what's going on in Israel and, and Gaza and, and filling up the air with, with my opinions. And I, and I understand that. But I think we do and we probably should have uh, opinions about what German citizens are allowed to protest about in Germany yep. with respect to... Gaza, I, I think I think that is a a legitimate concern for us all. I I agree with Simon there. Um, I think there is also space for people to say the protests against the IFD um, are valid, and it's great that there is such a big turnout. And in being happy about that, it's not to me. It's not a sense of whataboutism to say, well, how come these same people didn't turn up? for the protests against the genocide in Gaza. It's, it's understanding that certain factors drive down the protests in support of Gaza. And, and, and it's important to me that they, they both happen and it's great that one can happen. It, me saying that the other has to happen too doesn't take away the shine of the first protest either. No, it doesn't, but like asking that question like why why wouldn't you do that or like why why won't more people support the thing i think's important that's what it seems to collect sort of 
condensed down into is that I think this is important and everyone else should think it's important. And it's like, that's fair enough. How you express that and how you express that annoyance over the lack of support for one protest over another defines whether people were going to fucking listen to you or not. And I think it's, it's sort of the way that question is kind of posed is it feels like one answer comes at the expense of the other. And I think mm -hmm. that's why I feel kind of it's, you can't really, you can't really answer that. It's an unanswerable thing. Like why really? do more people approach? Yeah. I don't think you can. Like, how would you answer it? I mean, what would you say? Um, it, it just, it just stinks to me of racism, to be honest. It's like we care more about, or, or we, okay, I, I take your point about the fact that the, the protest against the extreme right is, in Germany is something that is happening in Germany to Germans. It is a legitimate close to home concern. But, you know, you, you mentioned Ukraine. And Ukraine, when the war first started, there were enormous protests about that. And of course, Ukraine is closer than Gaza. But even at the time that the Ukraine war kicked off and all these protests happened, comment was being made at that time that, oh, yeah, I wonder why. Oh, goodness me, a lot of those Ukrainians seem to be blonde and blue-eyed. So again, there was this, this racial, ethnic connection made to the fact that there was this overwhelming wave of support because these people looked like us. Mm. I, I, I heard mm. that comment at that time. And, yeah. and I think this is where the concern is coming from, that it is fundamentally a, a, a racist. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a nasty racist stink to it. But like there's a racism because people, people have chosen to come out in, in large numbers to support a domestic issue over a, a, an international issue. And therefore that equates to some kind of racism. I mean, I'm not saying it's not the case. I'm just trying to understand more than anything what, what exactly we're, 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 we're charging people with here. And just before this, we were talking, or Nick was talking about how the two protests would have different driving factors and we're talking about two different things. It just crossed my mind. We are talking in both instances also about racism, right? We're talking about Palestinian people, the dehumanization, which makes it possible for people to be eliminated and, 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 um, the, and the protests against the far right where we protest against racism as well. Isn't there a linking factor there too? I think there's a lot of that in terms of the, the protest against the far right, but I think there are other concerns about the far right. I mean, they're racist, but they're also a whole lot of other things. They're anti-democratic, for example, typically. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think it's, it's, it's slightly broader, the, the, the yeah. protest or the target of the protest. But there's also like, like a big chunk of racism in there. Oh yes, I, I I totally agree. But I think when when you talk about the lower level of support, perhaps for the Palestinian, I think it's basically racist. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't say whether it is or isn't. I mean, it's the stuff that I've read that clearly seem to indicate that. But I don't think the reason why someone might be motivated to go to one protest and not the other is because of necessarily of racism. I think part of the reason why Ukraine hit people so heavily is because it, it's in groups, isn't it? Like, and it's, it's sort of pre-programmed human brains. Like you gravitate towards the familiar, don't you? Like that's quite, that's quite normal. And I think to say, oh, they look like us wasn't necessarily to, to when in reference to, to people being killed in U Ukraine, wasn't necessarily a race value judgment as it was a, like a shock at the reality of of what a country that looked like germany being devastated by by drones and rocket attacks and people who look like germans being being killed and, the, and innocent civilians being killed and i think that does resonate differently than when people were seeing syrians or iraqis or afghan um victims of of, of war right and i think it probably lends itself slightly to what's happening in Gaza. But then 
it feels like we're tiptoeing around because we have to tiptoe around it because I don't actually want to have a direct discussion about it. But there are there are decades of difference as well around this topic. Like there's so much that we're not talking about. There's like a, like a swath of information that we're not going to touch because I don't think it's going to be beneficial to any discussion that we have. Yeah, and I, and I don't think we're trying to do that. I don't think we're trying mm. to fix the Palestinian issue. Well, if, if that's what Dedicate, Decades From Home is, is able to do, then we've been fucking wasting our time for 160 <laughs> episodes. Have we had the key to, to world peace in our pockets. What the fuck? Uh, what have we been doing talking about fruit? <laughs> <laughs> Two comments, though. One thing about the, the, uh, how Germany is equipped to support Ukrainian refugees, uh, there is a big aspect of racism there because you have Ukrainian kids coming to Germany and we, ha and we immediately have school textbooks for, uh, for Ukrainian-speaking kids mm -hmm, to study mm -hmm, science mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. German and English. And we don't have that kind of support or that kind of funding to support students that speak Dari or Persian or Arabic. We, we don't have that. And this disparity to me is, is actually a very racist disparity. So it is there. We, we somehow find the ways and the means to help the white, blue-eyed yeah. people, but not the brown people. It's, it's there. And uh, the second thing is, I have actually been wondering, and I didn't want to bring it up, but we, we speak about racism and immigration, but also we, we have a very upbeat flavor to decades from home. And right at this point, when we are dealing with so much war and anguish and death and, 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 and like the bottom most despair that people have been in, I, I, I did wonder whether the, we were actually going to say something on Decades From Home, not because we might have the solution, but because every, every voice, everyone speaking up is going to somehow move the higher-ups to one day do something. And I think it's necessary that people speak up in whatever way they can. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think... I think everyone speaking up all at once is exactly what we got when in uh, when October the 7th happened, which is every fucking person and their dog had to have an opinion. And then we were badgering celebrities and individuals to give us their opinion. And when their opinion didn't match what we wanted, we all went after them, right? And it, that happened. happened for weeks. It's still happening, right? All it takes is someone to say one wrong thing and everyone's shit scared to say the wrong thing because they just don't want to have to wake up to an earful of fucking random person in random part of the world complaining about your your opinion or perspective on it. And and it's utilized by bad actors to like the example, the perfect example would be the whole thing that happened to Greta Thunberg. One cuddly toy in the wrong place at the wrong time and suddenly she's a anti semi, right? And you just like I just I don't know how you how you even engage in this discussion. Yeah, and the, I, 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 and, and as much as I want to believe that if we all uh, stand up, things will change. We're talking about a conflict that's gone on. Not to say that you shouldn't, but I, I think we also need to appreciate there's a conflict that has gone on for a very long mm. time, and there's a lot of vested interests in making sure that conflict continues. And a lot of those vested interests happen to work in media in Europe mm. and you see him fucking everywhere you see him in British television you see it on German television and like there is a lot of people with a lot of interest in in either ensuring that no solution is ever 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 going to come about or the or, or stirring the pot or making as much sensationalized news out of it to fill in their their column inches or their tweets or their Instagram posts or their TikToks or whatever. Everyone's got to have a hot take and everyone's got to have a perspective. And as much as I want to talk about these topics, I've never wanted the podcast just to be another voice in the din of ill-informed opinion. I feel like we try and talk about things that we know and understand. Mm -hmm. And I feel like throughout this conversation, I've been interested, but also terrified because I feel like we're so far out of the wheelhouse of our, or at least my comfort zone. Mm. Not to say we should stop talking about it or we shouldn't talk about these issues, but I just feel like as soon as we start having ill-informed discussion, then there's, we've lost all value. And 
And it's back to my point is what I was saying of why I've never really talked about it is because it's not informed opinion. It is ill-informed opinion, which is just as bad as, 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 as any bad actor in the media. But has, has anything that we've talked about been ill-informed? Ill I don't think it has. Yeah, but I think as soon as we start talking about this issue in, with any level of depth, I think, I think we, we, we start to generalize. When you talk about this issue, what, what issue are you referring to? Because to me, the issue is simply, it's interesting that there's been a lot of protest about X, but not a lot of protest about Y. Wonder mm. why that is. To me, that's but then the to issue. Just go to, but then to rush just to go, oh, well, it's clearly racism. I can, I can believe racism is a factor. I can believe that mm. because racism is always a fucking factor. Mm. Like, but it is only one factor in a, in a multitude of different reasons why people may or may not protest yeah. certain issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we could see, you could spend, we could like, we could spend forever trying to work out what is in the hearts and minds of in, uh, individual Germans. Yeah, employment, people not being able to speak up or they lose their jobs. I, I can understand that. But on the other side, I feel like it's a disingenuous, I think, I feel like it's a framing of the debate in a really unhealthy and unhelpful way, whereby we have to measure people's motivations and protests and causes to gauge where, which is the most just and correct. Not to say that this is what you or the podcast has been saying. I'm just talking about the question as is. It feels like that's exactly what we're doing. And I feel like that isn't particularly informed. I don't think we said anything that is, uh, I, as a person, I, I am, I can have an opinion, I can have a reaction to things I see happening in the world. They don't necessarily have to affect me on a personal level, but I mean, face it, I, I open up the news, uh, it does affect me. Although I, 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 I am very far from the center stage of people affected by bombs and violence and abductions uh, i don't know maybe i'm i'm an empath or whatever the kids say these days it really hurts to see people um suffering people to see people i know being affected by this and i mean we've we've really turned the world into a bloody shitty place for ourselves feels powerless when i realize that i can't do anything about it but, but, but this is but, but this is it i mean this is what like, I remember for, oh, for fucking years, through 2016 to 2020, I'd go back to Britain and I'd get fucking furious every time I went back. So, so angry with people because I, kn I knew what, it was, what Brexit was costing me as an individual way before any fucker else knew what it was going to do to them. And I'd go back to Britain and everyone's just getting on with their lives and doing the things that they do. And they didn't care. And I got really angry about it. And it turned me into a very bitter person for a like, very long period of time because why don't these people care? Why and, and sure they care now, but is the reaction the best reaction I can have is to go, yeah, I totally understand, and this is what's my experience, or to go, ah, well, now you fucking feel it, you know, <laughs> like to sort of throw it back in their face and go like, oh, but it well. doesn't make you feel any better, does it? No, no, it doesn't, right? And I think the other side, the the, the like, it feels like it's, there's 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 like a gotcha element to this kind of discussion and this measurement of protest movements and it feels like there's a lot of value judgments being made about like oh well the predominantly white middle-class germans are coming out and supporting anti-right-wing kind of movements but they won't support gaza and it's clearly because they're fucking racist and i'm just like well like i just i think i think i think you're fucking stupid if you think there's only one factor that motivates people to do things because because i think people did were concerned by brexit but I think they had different ways of showing it. And my intensity about it and anger about it just wasn't the same as their intensity and anger about it. And actually, it was incredibly unattractive and unappealing way to discuss things was to rush instantly to judgment and anger about people because they didn't have the same emotions about a topic that I did and we motivated it in the same way. And I'd like to believe I knew what was in the hearts of these people when I was speaking to them, but I fucking didn't. And, and I don't, I don't know what motivates crowds of people. I think there's, 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 there's so many different factors and my, I get quite angry about it because I think it's fucking dead easy to say shit like that. It's dead easy to go, oh, it's that. 
to that. And not to say that that's necessarily what you've done, but and, and I'm it not sounds a lot directed that's specific. exactly what you think. That's what we've done, Nick. To be honest, no, no, I don't think I don't think this, that's what I don't think that's 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 the case at all. I think I, I think I think we know each other well enough to know. I, I know what you were saying, and I don't think that you you believe there was only one factor in play. So you don't think I'm stupid? No, fuck, of course not, right? Of course not. I would never say that, and I'd never say it in that sort of sort of virulent terms. But I think I think there are people out there who say shit like that, who think that there's a single factor causes to every fucking problem in the world, and they have all the fucking answers, and they're more clued up and informed and and understand these global problems better than everyone else and and it's because people don't understand it the way we understand it. and i'm just here myself in 2016 2017 2018 i know it better i understand it better and if you understood it as well as i would you'd be angry and you'd be protesting it too and i just feel like that is a hiding enough ultimately but whether racism's involved i don't deny it i d agree with everything you've said I just don't agree. I just don't agree necessarily in the same way. That brings us to the end of the show. We have to read some more books, you know, to be more informed. Wo ist die Bibliothek? If you enjoyed the podcast, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag Decades From Home, all lowercase, on Twitter. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Delini Algama, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40percentgerman.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All I have to say is thanks, and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss! Tschüss.